It's Pride Month! It's time to celebrate and remember that we have a long way to go as a community, and archiving as well as remembering our history is extremely important. I'm Nato Kitch, and tonight at the Gary Kiss Yoga and Erotic Cooking Association, we look at the death and life of Marsha P. Johnson. But because there's really nothing funny about tonight's subject, I chose two friends to lighten the mood with knock-knock jokes. First up, weren't you glad I didn't say Ro? It's Amelia! Knock-knock. <laughs> Who's there? It's Bill Maher! Bill Maher who? Ooh. I'm really glad you don't actually know who that is, and I really hope that for the rest of your life you can keep it that way because his opinions aren't worth a damn. And I can be found <laughs> Various Navigator on Instagram. Oh <laughs> my joke! Next up, weren't you glad I didn't say Ro? It's Ro! <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? Banana. Banana who? <laughs> It doesn't even matter anymore. Nato stole my joke. <laughs> now, a few trigger warnings. Uh, this film has discussions of murder, suicide, some transphobic and derogatory language. If that's not your thing, watch the Drunk History episode. Um, the Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson is a documentary telling the life of trans and AIDS activist Marsha P. Johnson. This documentary looks at her role in the riots, her life, and into her suspicious death. And I will strongly emphasize so much more. The narrative follows Victoria Cruz as she tries to solve Marsha's case before she retires from the New York Anti-Violence Project. So if that sounds up your alley and you haven't seen it yet, Go watch it, although it's unfortunately only on Netflix, so... Spoilers ahead, here we go. Okay, so what was your big takeaway and thoughts after watching this? Um, first off, before we even get into that, I want to say that it is an absolute pleasure to start this Pride Month off right, and that is by remembering and celebrating and honoring... Our trans brothers and sisters. Absolutely. Yeah. They are so important to the movement. Literally and started. They it. deserve they, they literally, literally started this yeah, movement. Yeah, would not would not be the movement without them. So No, no. So I wanna start off by saying how happy I am that we finally get to watch this because wow. <laughs> it is it is it is quite the documentary. I mean, in just talking around the people who, like, are aware of our history, which, by the way, more people should be aware of the history of who we are as a movement and how we got our rights and how we're still struggling for our rights. But, I mean, those who know... They know the name Marsha P. Johnson, and they know the name Sylvia Rivera, and yeah. it's so nice to have finally voices attached to those two names in like a major, major way. Yeah, I agree. Um, honestly, like I was a little taken aback by this documentary, and I mean that in a very good way. Um, because I was kind of expecting a little bit more of like a Netflixy like floof piece. Um, and there were so many moments in this documentary where I, I do want to point out, like they could have talked more about Marcia P. Johnson. Right. But aside from that, like just, there were so many impactful moments in this documentary. Um, and honestly, they were moments that were bringing attention to issues that we still kind of face, like, within the LGBTQ community today, um, LGBTQIA+. I don't know what we want to go forward with as a podcast. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just say queer because that's just like everyone. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's, Shit, that's what queer. I am. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for myself, I use that as, like, an all-encompassing term. But, you know, I want to make sure, like, we're all on the same page. Yeah. The yeah. terminology that we're using. Um, so, yeah, there were just so many things that I think are still relevant to the queer movement today. And I think, you know, with the 
pussy hat people and like the turfs and stuff like that. We're still kind of existing in a place where, uh, as Sylvia Rivera said in her speech that we saw, the movement completely betrayed the drag queens and street people. And they were the ones that that started this whole movement. Um, I don't know. I just I felt like that was really impactful, just like kind of the amount that it focused on that. And I think it was especially impactful because, I mean, you hear the name Marsha P. Johnson all the time. You might have seen a picture of her. If you're lucky, before this documentary, you may have, um, you may have seen or heard a video of her talking. What about Sylvia Rivera? I can tell you without a doubt that before I watched this documentary, I knew her name. I had no idea what she looked or sounded like. And what her, like, overall deal was. And I was so happy that in this documentary, they spent quite a lot of time, like, focusing on these icons and, like, unearthing that archival footage and, like, introducing us to, like, an older generation of queer people who were here and who fought for us. And a lot of whom disappeared, before their time. And, and I think who pioneered a lot of the social systems and kind of community that we feel today, right? Because obviously back then, clearly like, you know, getting completely ostracized from your family, ending up homeless on the street was a very real reality for a lot of like queer kids and queer people. Um, and that's that still goes on today, you know. Right. Like I think a lot of people like to. Well, okay, so like I think I think that's part of the rhetoric within more communities that are more aware. But like I think in the overall mainstream, that that is like a subset of the community that's ignored. And it was just really interesting to see that aspect where they were talking about the Star House and like how they were providing a place for young queer homeless people to unhoused people to like go and congregate and live and like have support and have that support system. It's so important to turning queer kids into queer adults. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I don't mean that in an indoctrination way, obviously like I mean that in the sense that they're not going to like end up dead. <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting going back to something Rose said, because like, um, in most of the media that I've consumed, I would say probably like the higher portion of it, like uh, Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson were just like inseparable for like all of it. Um, like I, I mentioned the drunk history uh, episode of Marsha P. Johnson, which focuses on mainly on Marsha P. Johnson and her history growing up up to the Stonewall riots, and then her and Sylvia starting a Star the star house um both by the way uh kudos to drunk history for uh casting trans actresses in those roles um you know at a time when like hollywood was giving uh trans roles to like uh you know cis women cis men um eddie redmayne i love him but he knows he should not have done that movie (laughs) um and then there was like this. There was this uh, part on, or this uh, uh, pride segment on Full Frontal with Samantha Beale a few years back with uh, the the brilliant Patty Harrison um, about uh, basically the origins of Pride, where they mentioned uh, Marsha B. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, and like reinstated sort of like how important they were to. Um, you know, the movement, how they basically, like, you know, through the first shot glass, shot glass her around the world, all that stuff. Um, and I don't know. I watched this movie again, and it kind of felt like a lot of that was downplayed. It right. Didn't, it didn't really feel like a lot of the importance of Marsha P. Johnson was really told. And that's something that I really had a problem with. Uh, I is, feel like... Like, that's why they named it The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson instead of The Life and Death, because they really wanted to focus on her murder and, like, that storyline, because I think that's... 
what they probably found more compelling as a storytelling device. But she still got to get us to like that they could. You can you have you can make a lot more footage of something that's happening now than you can find of stuff that hasn't happened since the 1970s and but 80s. Like, you, have, I have, you have her so family have... talking about her. You have like people that were around at the time talking about her. It wouldn't be that hard to really include more of her backstory so we could really get a sense of who this person was and like to the point of like knowing them to really uh understand the full weight of what they accomplished though i would have been okay with this documentary being extended like if it had been like maybe three episodes six episode documentary so that we could cover all that but i also get the sense that even though marcia p johnson's name was in the title the documentary was kind of more positing marcia p johnson's death um to drive the point home of how trans women of color are treated by society and by the police right it's very much a statement yeah, like right, I, and they they even like it's the first storytelling beat in the entire documentary, right? Where they're talking yeah. about how like how her death is like reminiscent of so many others, and there's a really good comparison to make because they also uh, kind of follow as we go along this murder of I think the name was Nettles of uh this case this current case that victoria cruz was on um that was happening at the same time where the murderer of that case had claimed i think it was like gay panic trans panic yes um, islan nettles is her name islan nettles and there's a good comparison to make about like unfortunately how far we've come or how f- not far we've come depending on how you look at it between these two cases but i also feel like that point was kind of muddled because there's so much else going on like the archive footage is amazing getting to hear from all of these like elders who were there at the beginning of this and their stories and like how things were is just like purely amazing there's some amazing things in this documentary but it doesn't really have like it doesn't really have like points of impact for me at least i don't know for me it had a couple of really big points of impact like i know i quoted this at the beginning of the episode and i quoted it in my notes too but that moment was Silvia rivera's um standing in front of the protest And just, like, going off about how the queer community has abandoned, at that point, to use the terminology that she was using, drag queens and straight people. Yeah. Like, I just thought that was so impactful for me and moving. Well, what I'm talking about is, like, usually when you're viewing a documentary, there's a narrative that's being told that you're following, like... uh, with the true crime documentary, you're kind of following as like information is being discovered, and then you kind of reinforce the information that you've done, that you've uncovered, so that you know where you are, and you eventually come to some sort of like conclusion of the matter. Yeah, that sums up everything. This is presented as right. kind of a true crime because of sort of the narrative device that we're following Victoria Cruz. Yeah. Um, yeah, it did have kind of a true crime vibe now that you say yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. As an avid true crime watcher, that was the way it felt when I was Not that something. that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I think the case that the documentary makes for Marsha P. Johnson being offed by the mob is very compelling. I think it's interesting. Like... like... <laughs> Like, um, um, but um, we'll be watching uh, uh, another documentary, I believe, later this season called Paris is Burning, um, which is just an amazing mm. documentary. Um, 
it's in Criterion. If you care, about watched that. it multiple times. <laughs> and like, I I think the thing is that like there's a uh, uh, how do I put this? There's this documentary presents you with all of the information as we get it, but it's not really sort of um, sorted. It's kind of almost like a stream of consciousness, uh, uh, true crime documentary. I mean, you say that like that's a bad thing. I didn't mean for it to be sound like a bad thing. <laughs> but, like, the point... I really... I, I kind of dig the vibe of this documentary because they know that they're tackling a serious issue and they definitely, yeah. like, don't make light of it. And I think the inf- the information that they laid out is tastefully done, right? So, I was... I was going to say, I was listening to a podcast earlier, and in the course of talking about this podcast, they talked about um, just kind of these, like, rogue investigation kind of true crime stuff, right? Um, I think it's the same with, like, Don't Fuck With Cats. Um, This podcast that they were talking about in this episode called Crossing the Line, and I think this is almost, like, this new kind of genre of investigative, like kind of documentary like true crime or it's a person that's not a journalist they're not a detective they're not a private eye uh they're just a regular person for the most part that's investigating this like crime that i think mainstream society big emphasis on mainstream um has almost forgotten or stopped paying attention to And if we're analyzing this documentary from, like, that kind of, like, a lens of where it's supposed to be, like, a rogue kind of, like, independent investigator, then this documentary makes a lot of sense to me. And I think for that kind of point of view, it's very well done. But the two problems with that are really that, like, um, there's actually a scene where Victoria Cruz is talking to, and I forget her name, I apologize, but she's another person in the anti, uh, uh, let's see, the anti-violence project. Um, so she, they're, and they're talking about resources and time. And so uh, the opposing view uh, to Cruz is that we could be using the resources and time that we'd be putting into more investigation into Marshby Johnson into current cases. Um, so the issue, so, so the thing about comparing this to Don't Fuck With Cats is that it's very valid because they're both investigators that, you know, they don't have right. the connections and stuff like that. But it's, Don't it's Fuck With Cats has, Don't Fuck With Sorry. Cats has like, a, there was like a huge connection of people like digging into all of these videos that were posted of these horrible, brutal, like animal cruelty videos, finding clues and like hunting this guy down. There were so many people. And for the most part, we're just kind of following one person for this documentary. And at least in the beginning, there's a lot of ambiguity over how official the anti-violence project is where like, if you didn't know what it is, uh, you would kind of assume that maybe it was like a, a subunit of like the DA's office or a police office or something that was made by like New York uh, state to like do specific things. And it is an organization, but it doesn't have the connections of say like a police department or anything like that, which is why Cruz has so much trouble getting like the toxicology report, access to all the uh, evidence that they have, even the autopsy. Um, but it's also presented at some points where, you know, it makes it seem like, you know, there's a huge conspiracy around keeping her from getting this information until, like, I hate to put it like this, but it's like, she actually like does the proper paperwork and then gets the information that w- that she didn't have before if that makes sense 
I think the problem is just like the amount of resources that she has is very small compared to Don't Fuck With Cats. But because of that, we're following one solid person and hearing their narrative. I don't feel like it's a good... I feel, I feel like any kind of crooked cop or even cop, I think, you know, especially in a place like New York, would be kind of tight-lipped when it comes to people nosing around their business. We love the police here at the Gate we, Podcast. We very like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying there's not crooked cops. I'm just saying, I, like, if you don't, mm. if you if you go into police station, if I go into police station, and I'm like, hey, give me all the files on Amelia. Like, they're not going to give it to me. But if I feel like an IPRA or like a Freedom of Information, then I'll at least get like a, a official response. You know. Yeah, I mean, so here's my take on that particular aspect. I would have liked the documentary to address how those avenues, when you're trying to investigate the potential homicide of a loved one, could potentially be inaccessible to some people. Uh, And I'm not saying that was necessarily the case in this instance, right? Yeah. But I I think that's something that just like, like why didn't she, you know, why didn't she go through those avenues? Um, initially, maybe it was because she was inaccessible or it wasn't accessible or whatever, you know? Um, I don't know. I mean, that makes sense. I, I would like more information about that. Yeah, exactly. Like it left me wanting a little more, a little more info. <laughs> Uh, do you think this investigation would have gone a lot differently if it was being investigated by like a special investigator for the state or government? Or do you think it was important for someone to be investigating this that's in the community? Uh... Oh, I mean, obviously it would have been easier if the investigation was carried out by a private investigator or by like a special counsel or somebody like that. But like the storytelling documentary-wise, would be so much less interesting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because when... Because it's obvious, like, within the first so-and-so seconds of the documentary that Victoria Cruz is somebody who's, like, deeply embedded in the community and the struggle. And, like, I don't know... She brings uh like a like a very personal touch to the investigation. And she's because she's it's her so doing bad. it, you know that it like means something. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, it's and so this is gonna be a hot her. take. This is gonna be a hot take. Uh love mm, a hot take. I feel like I would have been way less invested and way less trustful of the person at the helm if it had been a cop. I, let me put let me put it this way. What if <laughs> Victoria Cruz had been appointed as a special investigator for this case. I mean, but why would the government bother appointing? Like, I don't know much about special investigators, but it seems to me... So a special investigator, like, like specifically for this, the most likely situation and what has happened before with other cases is someone who is more attuned to the community and has the credentials would be uh, put as an investigator uh, for basically to solve the case because it was because the case was deemed something uh, that was of high value to the public interest which I think solving the death murder of, you know, a high profile uh, queer icon is in the public interest, you know, but also along with that, the special investigator would have access to all the information that we currently have access to the archives, maybe information that wasn't released to the public. They would also have backup. They would have uh, more people to help with resources and time management. So it's basically like they would be giving resources to solve this case to a third party that wasn't on the police's payroll. It wasn't on like an opposing party. Mm. So there's no conflict of interest kind of. So it's, 
So, like, hypothetically, since Victoria Cruz was really invested in this and had a history of working with the Anti-Violence Project, if she was given the resources of a special investigator to look into this, do you think that this story would be more impactful, less impactful, or how do you think it would impact sort of, like, the documentary itself? I mean... That's all based on the assumption that anybody in the designating process would see this case as worthy of designating a special investigator in the first place. Yeah, I, I mean, mean this is all from what, from yeah, from what it seems like to me, like the police were pretty adamant that Marsha P. Johnson's death was a. Suicide. The police don't really appoint a special investigator, and though. like we're either unaware or willfully ignoring evidence that the mob had it out for her in the first place. So, like, I feel like there's a vested interest by the people who have the information on the case to keep that information under as much wraps as possible. You know what I mean? Not saying that there's a conspiracy, but I what I am saying is that the government has shown time and time again exactly how little they care for the trans community. And so it wouldn't surprise me if they wanted to like especially, you know, since the mob is allegedly involved. The like, mob is a mob still a thing. I mean, I think so, but, like, Don't they can't me, operate in the same way that they used to, right? Probably not. I mean, they'd probably just, like, be behind the scenes, like, Smirnoff pride flags. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I you'd have to ask somebody who. <laughs> Are you in the mob? Would you like to come connected. on a podcast and talk about it? <laughs> yeah, would you like to spill all your dirty, dirty mob secrets? <laughs> yeah, I I don't think anybody in the in the know or like who would have been able to do so would have seen any value in appointing a special investigator, especially assuming since the victim is, like, a trans person of color. I see where you're coming from, but I I disagree. Which is sad. Yeah, yeah. It's... But, you know. So I want to say this, that cases, cold cases, can always be reopened. And this case was reopened in 2012. I believe there was a special prosecutor or investigator... Uh, that was brought on then to actually look at it. And if there really is new information now that was dug up in this documentary, it can be reopened again. Like there's no, uh, there's no expiration date on cold cases, but we probably should move on. We've been talking about this forever. <laughs> um, so when it comes to the, the presentation, um, like I think I really want to emphasize how amazing all the archive footage we we have and see are. Uh, like, like Amelia has pointed out, like there's a speech by Sylvia Rivera that's just like freaking amazing. It's very impactful and it resonates now as much as it did then. Um, how do you think hearing their voices? Um, is different from hearing their stories. You can hear their passion and their like hurt a lot more. And also their joy. Like, I just, I don't know. Marsha P. Johnson, like after watching this and like seeing the footage of her, like I just understood why she was somebody that people would have felt comfortable with and like wanted to to follow and like people would have been drawn to right she came across as like very charismatic yeah and like easy to get along with like and you know people who are able to pull other people towards them like that 
are generally the people that stand in front of big movements. Yeah. You know, I want to, like, emphasize, like, how much, you know, she did. Like, not just, like, starting the LGBT rights movement and the Stonewall riots. Like, the Star House, which was active for the longest time, uh, sort of giving voice and recognition to sort of a minority within a minority kind of thing. Like, Marsha P. Johnson was kick-ass. Um, and yeah. I, I honestly think that there needs to be a lot better mainstream representation for her other than Stonewall. The movie all about how Marsha P. Johnson stayed in the background while the Stonewall riot started? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Our last where mention she, of Stonewall. Where she hands the very first brick to Idaho Corn Boy and says, Here, you throw it. <laughs> <laughs> You've earned this. Uh, You've earned this, you confused, straight presenting poor son of a bitch. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, that is another thing. Going back to not not just Victoria Cruz and Marsha B. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, uh, but a lot of the people in this documentary are a lot different than other documentaries I've seen specifically about the start <clears throat> of the LGBT rights movement because they're not white cis men and women. Um, it's kind of refreshing to hear their stories and how they kind of like connected to our central figures. Right. Like this is one criticism that I've, that I saw some people, especially like uh, trans folk bring up and it goes back to the idea that it's more focused on the death and investigation of the death of Marsha P. Johnson. Um, A few of the criticisms that I read were critical of using Marsha P. Johnson's kind of name to tell like a different story. The reason we, we don't, we haven't really done like a movie with a trans lead character is because it feels like we really should have someone who has that experience to like critique it because like you can just, you know, there's plenty of, like non-trans people who critique trans films. Right. I may be non-binary, but like my experience with my gender and my I some might call it transness is like vastly different from like your typical experience, right? Not that any experience can be called typical, but, like, a more, like, widely accepted view of what transness is. Like, your clear-cut, like, male-to-female, female-to-male sort of transness. Do you feel like this movie should, should have kept sort of, like, um, do you feel like with that criticism sort of like in your mind, do you think that it should have uh, kept the title that it has, or do you think it should have changed the title? Um, do you think that his title was representative of the movie we got, or do you think that maybe it should have altered it slightly uh, to be more reflective that it was more focused on the death of Marsha B. Johnson in that investigation? Yeah, maybe if they'd taken out the life and just put the death of Marsha P. Johnson. I feel like the death of Marsha P. Johnson is way too heavy, though. I feel like... I don't know. I don't feel like there's an issue with the title at all. I love the title. I think it's fairly representative of what the the documentary is. Person? Right? They put the death first, and then they like they focus on her life. It's still there. Like we for me personally, I would have kept the same title and just extended the documentary fifteen minutes to thirty minutes, maybe even forty five, 
or like I said earlier, make it a three part series and then had more elements that focus on the actual life of Marsha P. Johnson and kept the title the same. Yeah, I would have loved, like, a two-part, like, don't-fuck-with-cats-style journey. Not that I think... I mean, yeah, like, you know how you were comparing it earlier to, like, that sort of... that vigilante sort of investigative work. I, I dig that angle... And I love that they leaned into it, but I feel like if they'd have made it a two-part series, they could have gone way more into, like, exactly, like, what it was that she did and, like, really have, like, as much, like, like eyewitness, like, first-person testimony as possible. We could have had, like, a two-parter. The first is the life of Marsha P. Johnson, and the second is, like, the death oh, of Marsha yeah, P. Johnson. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That would have been amazing. Although, imagine Netflix shilling out that much money on something, quote-unquote, gay. <laughs> oh, you mean, like, that animated series they made? Um, excuse me, <laughs> or, excuse or, me. Is it called Heart, Heart Boppers? Heart Boppers? Nuff That's said. the one oh, you like? okay. <laughs> okay, but Orange is the New Black is about lesbians, and that's, like, <laughs> socially acceptable, like, hot gay. That's, lesbians like, the high art. It was raunchy, okay? It was raunchy and seedy or something. <laughs> I don't know. I watched, like, two and a half seasons of it, and then I was like, I don't know if I can anymore. <laughs> no, I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't Netflix have... Didn't Netflix have another like uh, gay series? Yeah, that gay. I'm sure it's had lots. Yeah, I mean, it only has six gay movies, but you know, they're. Eh, I feel like they used to have more, but like Netflix likes to purge their stock every once in a while. Yeah, they got rid of Sodas, and I will never forgive them for that. Um. They need to have a whole Jeff London section. Jeff London is on oh Amazon God. Prime. Huh? Uh, Jeff London is on Amazon <laughs> Prime. Thank you. Oh, if they put okay. if they put Jeff London on Netflix, I guarantee you, <laughs> like the, the amount of views that would be on those movies would be three. <laughs> Like one for each of us <laughs> for one this for podcast, each of us. and then like one extra one for NATO because he actually likes Jeff London. I don't know what you're talking about. Jeff London is the greatest filmmaker ever. Um, so there is one other thing. I know, Ro, you said you've watched Paris is Burning. Have you seen I Am the Queen or Venus Boys? I have not. How? What expectations? did you have going into this knowing that it was a documentary about queer individuals? I let Amelia answer first. (laughs) What what expectations did you have going into this since this is our first documentary? What, what did you think it was going to be like and how did it exceed or how did it exceed your expectations? I think I, I said this at the beginning of the episode too, but I just like expected it to be going into it just like a little bit more of a, a floofy, like probably somewhat feel good documentary. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't, that it really like tackled some heavy topics that still affect the queer community to this day, unfortunately. I will say, you know what piece of footage I'm really glad they included in this documentary is speaking of like shying away from that feel good shit is when she's like y'all built this movement on our backs and y'all are treating us like shit Sylvia yeah. was the spice to Marsha P. Johnson sugar that was like I saw that and I was like oh my god even then even then like how shit has not changed. Like, how are we still in the same damn place? (laughs) How do you... The more things change, the more things stay the same. Am I fucking right? 
how do you think that because the 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 good thing about documentaries like this up on Netflix, you know, popular streaming services that focus on sort of like that focus on these icons that really started uh, the movement to get us where we are now as far as like the amount of rights we have. We, we are not done yet, but we're very much better off than we were when it started kind of thing. How do you feel that, what do you feel like we can do to keep sort of like the stories of Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera and Victoria Cruz and everyone else. How do you lie for future generations? Um, I feel pieces like this are the first step. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like just having th- that footage and like those pictures and those stories readily available in a way that's easy for people to get their hands on. And then the second way is obviously making movies like Stonewall. If you think about it, this was just Stonewall in the documentary for, for you know? Y'all thought I was serious. I get it. I fucking get it. I knew better. I heard Amelia's jaw hit the floor. <laughs> no, I laughed. No, that, that was, was a, a saucepan. That was a laugh. <laughs> Sorry, the spice pan. <laughs> I'm sorry, that that was okay. Like, at least you. they put her in the movie. Like, at least she was there. You at know least she I was mean? a background character, you know? <laughs> right, what, what at least she was there she to say. For? At least she was there to say, Hi, I'm Marsha Payette No Mind Johnson. Bless the gays. And then, like, waltz away and get arrested in a, in a fluff of flowers. <laughs> what about you, Amelia? <laughs> <laughs> For once, Sorry. Amelia has to follow Roe. What was the question? I got lost in the corn boy from Kansas throwing the first brick thing again. How, how can we? How can we keep the the stories of these queer icons alive for future generations? I agree. This is like a an important first step. Just like having more documentary, like more media that is focused on these people that tells their stories that, you know, shares these struggles, especially as we start getting into like newer and newer generations that might not necessarily like, depending on where they are, might not necessarily like really understand the full capacity of like the struggles that the queer community has had to go through. Uh, because they might live in a place like California where parents are uh, accepting of being them being queer as opposed to somewhere in Ohio where not every family has one queer kid or whatever the fuck Bill Maher said. Yeah, all the queer kids live in California, haven't you heard? Not to belittle your point, but um, also if you're in Cleveland, Ohio, it is equally not safe just being in Cleveland. <laughs> you should leave. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. I think my family keeps my family keeps trying to get me to move to Ohio, and I'm like, why? I feel like I would hate it there. <laughs> I think I think the thing is that like uh, my generation, I was, and this is not really comparable uh, to like growing up trans. But I was really afraid it, when I came out or started to come out to friends that if my parents found out, I would be kicked out. I would be, you know, lost without a high school degree. I would have nothing. I would have nowhere to turn and stuff like that. And if that's what I was feeling, I can't imagine what someone who was my age now or then with all this hatred and vitriol towards trans people and trans kids must be feeling when they like hear it on the news, when they hear it, you know, from lawmakers and teachers and, you know, everything. Oh, 
Absolutely. It's heinous sometimes, the things that you hear people say. And I, I think the best, and I honestly, like, I, even from, like, the freaking community with, like, the fucking LGB people, you know, like, it's fucking toxic and obnoxious, and I, it feels like if you're out there and you believe in the LGBTQIA+, um, then the one thing you should be doing is trying to find ways to make your community better, whether that's volunteering at things like suicide hotlines, uh, donating to, uh, to nonprofit organizations that help, uh, especially the homeless kids, homeless queer kids, um, anything that you can do to actually give back to your community and help the future generations, you really need to be doing that. And I hope that, you know, everyone is doing that. I give, you know, I'm not actually going to say what I do because it's not about me, but we, the thing is that we're not a hereditary community. You know, our, we aren't going to give birth most likely, uh, I can't give birth to other, you know, non-binary gay kids and, you know, pass on that and stuff like that. So the best we can do is try everything we can within our power to make things better. And that's all I can think of doing right now. Yeah. Here, here. (laughs) Cheers. Here, here. I will say, like, if you have even a modicum of privilege, it is your responsibility to raise up those around you with less than. Like, it is your moral, emotional, fiscal responsibility to raise up those around you. And you know what? I think that's one of the big takeaways that we could take away that was redundant. That's one of the big takeaways that we can uh, get Take out of away. this. <laughs> yeah. That we can get out of Listen, I'm trying to make it less redundant, okay? <laughs> but yeah, no, it's one like, of the big messages of this documentary. Yeah, it's one of the, the, biggest, <laughs> the biggest messages that we could take out of this documentary is that Marsha P. Johnson did not have much. But what she did have, she made damn sure that it was being distributed in a way that was supportive to her own community, whether that was with the star house, whether that was with putting her own life at risk by throwing that first brick at Stonewall, like that was it. She uplifted her community. She, she would give you the scarf off of her back. Yeah. You know. She literally would. And they literally. said as much. <laughs> they called her mom. <laughs> like yeah. Right. Yeah. And like at the end of the day, like I'm so glad that I got to watch this documentary. I've I've honestly I've been holding off because I knew since last Pride Month that we were going to do this this year and I've been holding off because I wanted it to feel like as fresh as possible as I was watching it and I'm glad I did because it was like it's a punch in the gut it really is speaking of speaking of holding off all right well let's just for fun <laughs> let's clarify our state of opinions one last time um, Amelia. <laughs> Did this documentary make you want to start a revolution with a shot glass or possibly be murdered by the mob? I, I am think of always anything. in favor of revolutions, especially ones that start with, I'm changing it to Molotov cocktails instead of shot glasses. But yes, there's liquor involved. Liquor. <laughs> and Roe. Did this documentary make you want to see all the raw archive footage of Marsha P. Johnson? Or does it make you want Pride to have a corporate sponsorship by Jurassic World, Dominion's Dark Barry Dr. Pepper? You know that evolved mutant T-Rexes do not discriminate based on gender, race, or sexuality, but Chris Pratt does. Dark Barry Dr. Pepper. It really has nothing to do with Jurassic World, Dominion. 
I will say that not every movie that we watch on this podcast would I then, like, turn around and, like, recommend to my parents. I would absolutely 100% show this to my parents. Can we watch another one that you were going to recommend to your parents? Um... I actually there there are a few that I recommend. I recommended yes. uh, what what was Pride, right? The one yeah. about oh, the, yeah. uh, the, the one thing. about the miners' riots in uh, in, in Wales. Wales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like almost immediately recommended that to my parents. I was like, this is something that like they would enjoy, and I think they would find informative. And I think the same thing about like I actually as soon as I finished like went and like talk to my dad about it <laughs> i'm like dad you gotta watch this and he's like i think i heard about that did they talk about that on npr and i'm like i wouldn't be surprised <laughs> chris pratt has said you don't want dark dark berry dr pepper um okay i never said i didn't want dark berry dr pepper <laughs> anyway that's you what take we those think foul but... <laughs> words out of your <laughs> but mouth if you've seen this movie or end up watching it later we'd love to hear your thoughts and your experience with it you can find us on facebook and twitter at gaycapod that's g-a-y-e-c-a-p-o-d while you're there why not suggest a movie for us to watch in the future we're always looking for new suggestions we can't wait to experience more movies with you i'm no kitchen y'all go have a kick-ass and safe pride also, wow. sponsored by Jurassic World, Dominion, Darkberry, <laughs> Dr. Pepper. And remember, kids, every trans person deserves a seat at this revolution. Even those cringy Reddit communist cat girls. Especially those cringy Reddit communist cat girls. <laughs> But do they meowserve Darkberry, Dr. Pat? Why, I, why is this only a limited time thing? I'm they so obsessed. They do! 